and I love how she phrased that, that you're using that against him. His quest for the truth, you're using that against him. All the while, not giving him the documents he was entitled to in the first place. Snow Files, episode 36, Lauren's kick-ass response to the state's response to Jamie's motion for discovery. The mission of the Snow Files podcast is to expose the misconduct of the state's attorney's office under Charles Renard. It is not our intention in any way to disparage the current state's attorney's office or the Bloomington Police Department. Hey everybody, this is Leslie and Tam. We are doing a pop-up podcast because we got this fantastic response by Lauren from the Exoneration Project. This is her response to the state's response that we just published on the last episode. So it's not long, totally plain language, and we really just wanted to get this out here you know, so we can talk about it. We're hoping that everybody will listen to the podcast or at least read the motions. The last four, I think it starts with 32. And that's the last ones that we're doing. And this will be the last one, we think, unless something incredible happens before the hearing on September 8th at McLean County Law and Justice Center in Bloomington, Illinois, at 1.30 p.m. If you're going to come, you need to make sure that you come early, find a place to park. Don't know if the judge is going to let people in late. They usually don't do that. So come early. Remember, you can't take your cell phones in McLean County Courthouse anymore. So make sure that you leave those in your car. They do have a search feature where you got to walk under the thing like you do in the airport and, you know, put all of your change and keys and everything. So you might want to come very light, not a lot of heavy baggage because we don't want to hold anything up and you want to make sure that you can get in and get a seat. So we're just going to walk through this very brief, very straightforward and very powerful response from Lauren Myerskoff-Mueller. One, James Snow has steadfastly maintained his innocence from the outset of this case. He has fought tirelessly to overturn his wrongful conviction for over two decades. Two, unfortunately, Mr. Snow's efforts have been stimmied by his limited access to discovery in the case against him, to which he is entitled to under both the Illinois Supreme Court rule and case law, as detailed in his motion for discovery. Three, the current discovery dispute should not be before the court. There is no dispute that petitioner is not seeking any new discovery, rather only materials that were presumably previously made available to petitioner's prior counsel. There is no dispute that a judge ordered that these documents be tendered. 
there is no dispute that neither petitioner nor his counsel has the majority of the documents. There is no dispute that petitioner cannot obtain these items through any other means. There is no dispute that this puts no burden on the state or their agents. There is no dispute that the state reviewed the documents it possesses in crafting its response, but that petitioner's counsel does not have that same access. I love this. This is a powerful first statement. Lauren is just coming out right away and saying, listen, we know you have the discovery. We're not asking for anything that he was not entitled to in the first place. We're not asking for anything new. The judge ordered these documents tendered and they didn't give it to him. And we don't have the documents. She's saying the petitioner doesn't have the documents. And I don't have the documents, right? So she's pissed off. And then she says, uh, you know, that the petitioner cannot obtain these items by any other means. How else is he going to get these documents that he should have had? And they already have it because they laid it out. Everything is in these PDF files or everything is in electronic format. They made a big deal out of that. And then he's saying it's not an undue burden on the state or anyone else. And I love how she leaves with this punch. The state reviewed the documents it possesses in crafting its response. But the petitioner's counsel does not have the same access. So how am I, you know, she's like, how am I supposed to even argue this? Right. So it's like they told her to make a list of the documents that she wanted. And she's like, I was somehow able to do that a little bit by going off prior counsel's handwritten notes. But you have the documents right in front of you and you've admitted you've looked at them and pulled them out and done random surveys of them. But I can't even look at them. That McLean County science. Right. My um favorite part of what we just went over was the first sentence where she just says, James Snow has steadfastly maintained his innocence from the outset of this case. He has fought tirelessly to overturn his wrongful conviction for over two decades. I thought that was just so incredible and written as a fact to get that down in history documented in plain words like that. because. The state's response kind of tried to discredit Jamie and make it look like he's just trying to get another bite at the apple and he's just looking for new discovery and fishing for new information so that he can just keep trying to shake something loose to get himself out of prison. And they have some kind of duty to protect and uphold justice in general so that defendants can't just make a career out of doing that and so she responds by opening it up right away and just shutting that down and saying no he has tirelessly instead fastly been doing this for 20 years so no and jamie really needs people with credibility and leverage in our society to vouch for him in that kind of way and stand up for him and say that kind of stuff in plain English. It is very helpful. And I'm really proud to read that. And I love how she's fighting for him. 
and then starts going hard. Like, you know, his efforts have been stifled by his limited access to discovery in the case against him, which he's entitled to. I mean, that's that's just right on because she is she's fighting. I love that. So she continues and she says, number four, and most importantly, there should be no dispute that these are documents to which the petitioner, indeed any criminal defendant in the state of Illinois, is entitled. When I read that, all I thought was, yes, she's saying it. Why does every other criminal defendant get their discovery? And then we're just going to say that he's not entitled to it because this is a DNA motion. I just love that. I'm like, yes, go Lauren, go. Yeah, she's definitely calling out the status quo with that one. Just saying this is not even an argument. There is no dispute. Any defendant is entitled to all of this stuff, period. So stop with this whole Jamie Snow is old and tired. Let's forget about him. Status quo. Some. She continues and she says, five, this issue should have been resolved collegially between the parties with the state tendering the documents to petitioner's counsel consistent with the court's prior orders. This dispute is before the court solely because the state has chosen to obstruct petitioner's counsel's access to these documents. The state has not set forth any reasonable explanation for this obstruction. You see, that's very, very, very strong language. Yeah, she's shaming them. She's giving them, no, she's shaking her finger at them and calling them out. And, you know, she's accusing them, telling them exactly what they've been doing. When you start using the word obstruction, that is very strong. The fact that she starts it off with, this should have just been a gentleman's agreement because both parties are dignified and it's the right thing to do is what it sounds like to me when she starts using that abstract language that strong what do you think yeah i think it's kind of foreshadowing where she's going with this and kind of getting the feeling that she was angry typing and slamming when she was writing this um she probably is exasperated and Lauren is new to all of us, but you all got to meet her on Zoom and see her and feel her out. And we didn't see any of this coming. I mean, we thought that she was great. She was well poised. She had spent a lot of time getting familiar with the details of the case, but we had no idea she was as much of a like-minded individual as we are. Right? Right. (laughs) So um, we are pleasantly surprised, a little vindicated, I think. Also, Tam and I talk into the abyss about all of our outrage about what's going on with this case. And sometimes you you can know for sure that you're right and that there's been a miscarriage of justice and that this is just absolutely bananas and can just be repeating yourself over and over again and on your soapbox and preaching and trying to get awareness. And eventually you start to, I don't know, Tim, if you feel this way, but eventually you start to think like, 
does nobody see it but me? Do I not make any sense? Am I just saying the same thing over and over again? How come? <laughs> why is this still happening? You know? Yeah. Why, why, yeah, why is it still happening? <laughs> yes. And then you read this and you're like, holy shit, I was right. What I've been saying is right. And other people who are professionals and are so far removed from the personality of this case and Jamie Snow as a friend and a person and just somebody who went down in history and unfortunate web of lies with Tina Griffin, she can just see all of this stuff with her own eyes. And it's just very reassuring and vindicating. I think that we just all feel very lucky to have that kind of support. And it really gets me that she, this case is very thick, as everybody knows, on what we've done. We're at, you know, episode 40, almost. And this is you know, and we have bonus episodes and all of that stuff. So it's a very thick case. It's got a lot of witnesses in it and you have to flush that out. And what did this one do? And what did that one do? But man, she just stepped up to the plate and grabbed it. And I, Hey, I got a handle on this. She is very sharp. So it continues. Number six. As detailed in petitioner's motion for discovery, petitioner's trial counsel no longer has the file. Remember, because he was in prison? As a result, Judge Bernardi ordered all discovery to be turned over to Snow during post-conviction proceedings on April 2nd, 2007. Mr. Snow received about 900 pages at that time. So Judge Bernardi ordered this to go to Jamie in 2007, and he got 900 pages at that time, okay? So at the time, that's hmm, 15 years ago, was he satisfied? Because it kind of just drops off. Next thing down in history happens a handful of years ago when you guys figured out there was more stuff. But what happened in 2007 when he got it? Did they give him 900 pages and was he just like, hmm, okay, cool. One of the most interesting things that happened was that he got uh, access to recordings, right? He got about 30 recordings. And that's when he heard that recording of Pilo. And if you listen in season one, the recordings of Pilo and Danny Martinez within a couple of days of each other and their stories differentiate drastically. And remember that Pilo was doing that interview shortly before he testified and he was actually saying that that he watched Danny Martinez walk to the store. He was there and up his tires, walked to the store, turned back, started walking again, and then turned back and got into his car and left. Well, he would have had to see him almost run into somebody. But they didn't use that. And then when Pilo got on the stand, Pilo was like, oh, I was looking at everything and I was, you know, so not focused. So when he heard that tape, he was like, oh my God, this is it. He was blown away, but no, 
he didn't get everything and we didn't even know there was more until we started filing FOIAs, which we landed up getting about 70 tapes. That's a huge difference in the amount of tapes and we did not get all of them. I promise you. But when we started going through these reports and we started getting more information, then we knew, well, they're referencing this interview that's been put in a file somewhere. Where is that? And that's how we started looking at the tapes and kind of piecing it together. It's a very long process. So no, he thought that he had received everything. There was no reason for him to think that he didn't. Well, I bet when he did get that stuff, he was probably excited and blown away too. Like, oh, look at this great stuff that I just got. I'm sure he didn't even imagine there was more. Exactly. So number seven, on March 28th, 2016, Judge Butler ordered a subpoena to the Illinois State Police and the Bloomington Police Department for documents related to forensics evidence in this matter. In response, BPD disclosed about 8,000 pages of documents to the court for an in-camera inspection. Number eight, the court therefore tendered possession of the subpoenaed materials to the state and directed petitioner and the state to review the disclosures and determine what was responsive to the subpoena. These materials have never been in Mr. Snow's possession, nor in the possession of Mr. Snow's current post-conviction counsel. The documents always remained in the state's sole possession, as they do today. So they can make all of these fancy responses and say, ooh, we looked at all these documents. We did all this stuff. And look, it's just a bunch of, just a bunch of double pages, just a bunch of copies, you know. It's just a bunch of this and it's just a bunch of that. And there's not really anything in there. And he's not supposed to be asking for a discovery anyways. And she's saying, I'm his attorney. Fuck you. I need to see these materials because I have to represent him. That's what that tells me. If you enjoy Snowfiles, please give us a quick rating and review on Apple Podcasts. This will help Jamie's story get out to the masses. Visit snowfiles.net and click on Rate Show. And while you're there, leave us a voicemail that may be used on the show and check out our cool Snowfiles merch. Number nine, through a lengthy and time-consuming review of the state's attorney's office during working hours, petitioner's counsel determined that much of those 8,000 pages were previously unknown to petitioner's post-conviction counsel. Indeed, significant information exists that was not part of the state's 2007 discovery disclosure. And that's where Tara had to go down to the state's attorney's office 
as she says, during working hours. And I'm not kidding you, it took like a year because they had to set up time and nobody could be in court and everybody had to be there. And she had to sit there and peel through this stuff with them basically looking over her shoulder. And all she could do was take notes. She couldn't make copies of anything. And remember, she couldn't tell anybody anything either. I think it's really important right now to understand that Tara represented Jamie for like 10 years. So she knew what they had. She had already gone through that. She had already filed motions for testing and a post-conviction petition and all of this stuff over the years. It's not like she didn't know. It would be like Jamie going through it and going, holy shit, I've never seen this. Or when me and Ray see something like a deal being brokered or communications between the state's attorney and a jailhouse informant, we're like, oh shit, we've never seen this. And that's what Tara did for all of that time. But he's being represented by somebody else now. And Lauren thinks this is very important. So she came out of the gate with this. Why don't I have these? Because she didn't have the luxury of, if you could call it a luxury, of going through all of those documents and being able to see what had been withheld. And as a new attorney on this case, she wants it. She wants to see it. So and was this motion reinvigorated because she is on the case now and she's prepping herself and getting all caught up? And she's like, wait a minute, I don't want this lady's handwritten notes. <laughs> I want yeah. the documents myself. Yeah. Hold up, let me file a motion. And then it turns out that they, she's got quite a few teeth in it. <laughs> Well, I th- I think it was an opportunity for her to go in there as new counsel and say, I need to see these things for myself. Are we going to take another year for me to go while the state stands over my shoulder, which was absurd and ridiculous in the first place? Or are we going to give the discovery his attorney should have received pre-trial and that Jamie should have received in 2007 when he went pro se. 10. Aside from the state tendering the documents in its possession, there is no other way for petitioner to obtain these materials as the trial lawyer's file has been destroyed and FOIA responses have been heavily redacted and do not contain the missing material. 11. Moreover, the request is non-burdensome, as the documents are almost entirely already digitized and in the possession of the state's attorney's office. Indeed, the state acknowledges in its response that the documents consist of 7,704 pages in 11 PDF files. All the state needs to do is email those files to petitioner's counsel. I love it. It's like, they're there. They're electronic. You could have just emailed them. Exactly. 
12. The state's argument that some of the documents in the BPD response are duplicative fails for three reasons. One, there is no harm or burden associated with turning over duplicative documents. Number two, petitioner is entitled to the documents regardless of whether they are duplicative copies within the 8,000 pages. And three, petitioner should be allowed to verify the state's claim that the documents are duplicative. I don't think she gives the state any room here because that's the first thing that I thought when they said that, oh, well, we did this huge random sample and, you know, wow, this was found there four times. This was found there. I think we said that last week, Leslie, we were talking about it and it was just like, well, then just turn them over. What's the problem? Right. Yeah. You're saying there's no harm or burden associated with them if they're all freaking copies. Exactly. And then reiterating that no matter what, Jamie is entitled to those documents, whether they're copies or not. You have to wonder, Leslie, why they're fighting so hard. Why do you think they're fighting so hard? I think they truly don't know what's in there. The people in power currently don't feel responsible for why Jamie's in there, but they know they are responsible for keeping a lid on it and they don't want to deal with it. It's very hot. It's bad for their careers. It's going to set them on fire. So they don't want to deal with it. And if you can just keep the door shut and keep resisting and by doing nothing, then you're kind of off the hook after, you know, if you can skirt this issue for eight more years, you can become a judge. (laughs) Right? So. Everybody is just what I've been saying to Jamie since I met him is playing hot potato. And this is just another way to deny it and not have to deal with it. And then just be status quo. That's all that's going on here. The state's attorney who showed up to the Zoom meeting, he's not evil. There's nothing wrong with him. He's a man. He's a young guy. Pretty sure he has a young family. He looks nice. He's nice enough. He likes to joke about the weather. To him, he's just doing a job. And unfortunately for us, he doesn't feel his job is to serve Jamie Snow. That's a uh, very well said, and I think it's a uh, you know an interesting perspective because yeah, status quo, business as usual in McLean County. 13. Mr. Snow has good cause for this request as he is unable to obtain these materials through any other means. The request is non-burdensome as the materials have already been produced by BPD and are in digital form. The court previously ordered the discovery and materials are critical to the DNA motion pending before the court. If they're fighting to get these 8,000 documents to allow Jamie's attorneys or Jamie to have them, how can they say that the documents relating to the DNA motion that 
they're just going to turn those over and these are it. How can we trust them to go, oh, these are the uh, DNA related stuff and we've agreed on that and here they are. And then we never see these other documents. I mean, shouldn't it be Lauren's right to be able to go through and see what documents relate before she even has to write that DNA motion or amend it? Yeah, it should be her right. And I think she demonstrated that it is her right and it's Jamie's right. So let's enforce it. So number 14, in fact, the state's response demonstrates exactly why petitioner must be given these materials because their argument focuses on the purported strength of the evidence against Mr. Snow. The state even attempts to use Mr. Snow's dedication to seeking the truth and proving his innocence as a reason for this court to deny him the discovery to which he is clearly entitled. The state points to every court that has denied any petition or motion of Mr. Snow's since the inception of this case. (laughs) I love that. 14 might be my favorite. I love how she says the state even attempts to use Mr. Snow's dedication to seeking the truth and proving his innocence as a reason for this court to deny him. Right. And that circles back to the first point where she's like, he's worked tirelessly for 20 years on this. What are you talking about? And now you're even using that as a way to further discredit him. She's saying he's seeking the truth and you're telling him he's on a fishing expedition. Obviously we haven't gotten the truth, right? We haven't gotten it. So it's time. And I love how she phrased that, that you're using that against him. His quest for the truth, you're using that against him. All the while, not giving him the documents he was entitled to in the first place. 15. Significantly, though, we now know these courts did not have the benefit of all of the evidence before them. At the time of those briefings and arguments, Mr. Snow was severely limited in the arguments he could raise and the evidence he could investigate and cite because he did not have access to all of the evidence. So she's taking that 25 judges said this, they didn't have the benefit of him being able to make an argument with all of the evidence because You never gave it to him. And he was severely limited in what he could raise or investigate or cite because he didn't have access to all of the evidence that he should have had in the first place. 16. These materials include significant information related to the underlying investigation and conviction of Mr. Snow that could have had a significant impact on these prior courts' rulings and could have impact on the pending 
DNA motion and future motions before this honorable court. 17. Indeed, the materials the state is refusing to tender are critical to the court's inquiry in the pending DNA matter, where the court must determine if, in quotes, the result of the testing has the scientific potential to produce new non-cumulative evidence materially relevant to the defendant's assertion of actual innocence when the defendant's conviction was the result of a trial, even though the results may not completely exonerate the defendant, end quote, from the Illinois Post-Conviction Act. The materials the state is refusing to tender contain significant information that calls the strength of the evidence and the conviction itself into question. The mic drop there, Leslie. I love this motion. Yeah, it is a big mic drop. And I also like how succinct it is that it gives a brief overview in just five pages. So basically the relevance of this entire case and why it's important and why Jamie needs our support now. There's so much about it being put in clear black and white in a published public document. It's just so desperately needed. It definitely, definitely reads a lot different than the motions I've gotten from you guys in the past. Those are big snooze fests. I'm sorry, but they were like 40 pages long and arguing over witnesses and who said this and who said that. And, you know, it's just very refreshing to not be arguing over that currently and be arguing over truth and justice and not show could have would Yeah. And there are reasons for them to be lengthy. What I was thinking is a contrast to the state's response. Even her original motion is very plain language. I don't know if you've ever read the federal hate. I thought that was great. It was long, but it was also very plain languagey. I loved that about the federal hate. I love that about her original motion and the state's response. They come back business as usual, right? What does she have? Like two citations in here? I think they're both the post-conviction act. Like you're supposed to do this Supreme Court rule, which says that discovery should have been tendered to Jamie's attorneys before trial. And this motion right here is very plain language. I would encourage everyone to read it because we just went through it. If you're listening, you don't have to, but maybe you can pick up some things that we didn't pick up because it's just a great motion. I was, what did you think when you first read it? Were you just like, wow, I was, I was like, wow. Yeah. I was like, furiously reading it and smiling and grinning and excited and (laughs) just like, yes, yes, yes. It was probably the quickest I've ever read one of his legal documents. I mean, 
usually I'm reading them and I'm like reading it as a skeptic. But this time I felt like I was reading it as, I don't know, like an audience member. (laughs) So I don't know. I felt like I was I felt like I was witnessing something as I was reading it. You know, I was very enthralled in it. It was more of an experience than it was just sitting down to try to comprehend something. I don't know. I'm I'm excited. I feel like this is, this is big news. You know, I'm really happy for Jamie. And I think the times are changing and it, you know, it really sucks. He had to wait all of this time out in a prison cell, but I think time is finally on his side and I think that people don't put up with this shit anymore in society and um, something's going to shake loose from it. I think that this kind of stuff they're not used to it. They're not used to it. They can sit back and just say whatever the fuck they want to say and they're in McLean County so nothing ever happens. They win. They win and nobody cares. But we do. That's the difference. That's the difference. And we're not going to stop. No matter how this turns out, we're not going to stop. I'm just so looking forward to it. I can't wait. Leslie and I for sure are both going to be there. We're hoping Bruce can make it. He's working on that right now. I'm sure that Jamie's family is going to be there. And a lot of friends on that Facebook event page that we have that are ready and rolling and we're going to keep you updated and we're putting this out because we want everybody there and everybody that's listening and we'll do a follow-up as well besides the live because we want y'all to understand exactly what's happening in these courts you've listened to the last four episodes and If this motion gets denied, you know exactly what's going to happen. Jamie's right to discovery. And that's it. If you have any information that may help Jamie, please call the tip line at 888-710-SNOW. There is a $10,000 reward for any information leading to a new trial or the exoneration of Jamie Snow. The tip line is free and confidential. And don't forget to join us on Wednesday, September 8th at the McLean County Law and Justice Center at 1.30 p.m. to hear Jamie's new attorney, Lauren Myerskoff Mueller, argue this incredible motion before the Honorable Judge Escapa. She's asking him to grant the discovery the state withheld from Jamie pre-trial and again in 2007 when Jamie went pro se. For those who can't attend, we will go live as soon as possible after the hearing on the Snowfiles Facebook page to give you an update on the proceedings.